and welcome to the PathMig Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Hi everyone, this is Whitney Landa, psychiatrist in the Palo Alto location and director of education. Today we're going to do a deep dive into escitalopram or Lexapro. This is another one of our great first-line medications. It's the S-enantomer of Celexa. It's FDA-approved for generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder 12+, so it has a pediatric indication. And we also use it for all forms of depression and anxiety, including panic, PTSD, OCD, PMDD, and social anxiety. So one thing that really is different about Lexapro and Celexa compared to some of our other antidepressants is they really only do affect serotonin. Lexapro affects serotonin in a couple different ways, but it's all serotonin. And so there is no norepinephrine or dopamine reuptake or propagation we need to worry about. It's much less likely to cause activation. So Lexapro is an especially great choice for someone that has a lot of anxiety or an agitated depression that we're worried about activation. So you can go ahead and start a very low dose of Lexapro. While activation is possible, it's less likely. One other sort of potential benefit, though could be seen as a drawback of Lexapro, is it has a very small dosing range. So Lexapro, for adults, really the dosing range is 5 to 20 for depression and anxiety, though up to 40 milligrams for OCD. And for kids, we started at 2.5 milligrams and can go up to 20 even in kids. But it's a pretty tight dosing range. It's hard to do intervals any lower than 2.5 without going back to the liquid. Liquid tastes bad, not as bad as some others I've heard. Um, I've heard it has a slightly minty flavor. And as I said, I do start at 2.5 milligrams for kids and teens. Kids, I leave them at that dose for two weeks. Teens, I have them go up to five milligrams after a week. For adults, I start at five for a week or two, depending on how likely I think they are to have side effects, and then I'll take them up to 10 milligrams pretty quickly. And then adults, we're going to leave them at either five or 10 milligrams for a full four to six weeks before we try to gauge the effectiveness of the medication. And as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, there's nothing we can do to speed that up. So I get that question all the time. There is nothing we can do for depression. We really just have to give it time. Um, The way I like to explain that to patients is with my road analogy that many of you have heard, where our brain is a network of roads and what the medicine is doing is forcing traffic flow to change. So all the cars want to take 101 to the city, but we want them to take El Camino. And eventually the brain will notice, well, all the cars are taking El Camino. Let's take some resources off of 101 and put it on El Camino. And that's when they really feel the bulk of the change. But that construction takes time. One question I get a lot with these medicines is, well, how do I know that they're working? Because they do work very slowly over periods of time. So people will say, I didn't notice that change day to day. It's sort of like just a little bit each day. And then looking back at the end of the month, it seems like a big change. But sometimes it can be subtle, especially at the beginning. So when people ask, how do I know? I'll tell them they'll just feel a little bit better 
and it might be hard for them to define exactly how they'll feel a little bit more resilient. Um, another analogy I like to give is uh, for a lot of people who are really struggling, especially if they have a lot of stressors, is I'll compare their life to a hurricane. And I'll say, right now you're a tree and you're just bending whichever way the wind blows. You sort of bend that way and you really aren't able to hold steady and kind of a stable base. And so what you'll notice is as the winds continue to be just as strong, your base is more stable and you'll bend less with each gust of wind. So each stressor that comes by, your mood will feel less reactive. You'll feel more resilient and more able to cope with that. And I'll give them examples from things they've told me. Um, so with a teen, it's often an interpersonal conflict. So I'll say, remember when you got that text message from your friend and you spiraled, when you're doing better, you'll get the text message from your friend and you'll feel sad and upset, but it won't get to that deep, dark place that you got to, you know, last week. So if, you know, say Lexapro's working really, really well, they've been on it for six weeks and the dose seems great, they're doing great, but they're having side effects, you know, we can change the medicine. If the side effects are mild and very tolerable, I'll usually ask them to wait it out because they will go away. And side effects with SSRIs, again, happen within those first two weeks, most typically. It's really, really rare to develop a later side effect. So if people are tolerating it great and then two months later they start getting headaches, it's not the SSRI. You can look elsewhere. Uh, but if it started, even if it was intermittent in those first two weeks and then it got worse and worse, then maybe it's the SSRI. Typically, though, side effects will happen right away and then they get better with time. So if they're really tolerable and the medicine works really well, I ask them to stick with it. Uh, what we can do in the meantime is help them through those side effects. So if Lexapro is causing insomnia, I'll give them you know, Chazodone, Hydroxyzine, Gabapentin, Remeron. Again, not benzos. We don't want to give them another issue um, to deal with along with their depression and anxiety with the benzodiazepine dependence or tolerance to this medicine. Um, so we want to use kind of safer medications. And they're really great for short term. We don't want to use them long term. But again, just as someone's kind of getting onto the medicine, adjusting to it, they can be very helpful. The next one I want to focus on just a little bit is sexual side effects. All of these medicines can have sexual side effects. There's some evidence that Lexapro is a little bit less likely to have them than some of the others, but it's still pretty significant. So if people say they are getting sexual side effects, I'll usually add Welbutrin or Buspar to their regimen, and that can often be very helpful. You guys have heard me talk about the black box warning for suicidal thoughts for adolescents before, and that is all the way up through age 24. It's not just teenagers. And this is an increase in the likelihood of suicidal thoughts, but not suicidal actions. And in my experience, they really are intrusive thoughts, which means that they don't connect with people. They're what we call cognitively dissident. So they don't want to act on them. They don't feel comfortable with them. It doesn't feel like their own thought. So I tell people if they're getting those to stop the medicine and let me know, but that I'm not worried about it as long as they know what it is, because of course that can be really freaky and is something that parents especially really worry about with their kids. And so I try to be really reassuring around this and tell people it's absolutely a real thing, but it's not something to worry about as long as you know about it and know what to do if it happens. The 
general risk for all SSRIs is 2%. Many studies show Lexapro to be less than 1%. So again, very rare and not something that leads to suicidal actions. So you need to inform people, but be reassuring around that. If they do get these, go ahead and stop the medicine and start a different agent. One side effect I want to spend some time on just because I haven't, and it's a really significant side effect, but also one that gets confused all the time for a primary effect of the medicine, and it's called emotional blunting. So patients will come in and say, oh yeah, no, my depression and anxiety are so much better. And I always ask, do you still feel a full range of emotions? Because a lot of times when people get emotional blunting, they think the medicine's supposed to do that. So they don't feel as happy, they don't feel joy, they don't feel as excited about things, but they also feel less depressed and anxious. And so they think that's what it's supposed to do. But what it's supposed to do is just take away the depression and take away the clinical anxiety. It shouldn't blunt other emotions. And so if that happens, you want to stop the medicine and start another one, but it's not a primary effect. So when people say it works great, I'll say, oh, good, you know, tell me about some things you're interested in or excited in or just kind of generally how life is going. And I check in and make sure there's no emotional blunting because people will let that go for years, not realizing that isn't a primary effect of the medicine. And it's one of the reasons they sometimes have a bad reputation because people think we're trying to blunt their emotions and keep them from feeling happy, which we are absolutely not trying to do. The one time I will leave the blunting uh, on is if someone's really depressed and anxious to the point where they're not functioning or they're suicidal because it is protective. And I tell people very frankly, I'm going to leave this on while we find a better agent because since you've been emotionally blunted, you also aren't self-harming. You haven't tried to kill yourself. There's a plethora of other advantages to it right in this moment. But just so you know, this is a short-term plan and we will absolutely find something that works and doesn't just blunt you. But that is the one time I will sort of use that to my advantage if it's helping keep people safe. The other one I always like to comment on is in the elderly, higher risk of SIADH. I don't really worry about that in other populations, but so you're going to monitor for those. And remember, in the elderly, always go low and slow, just like we do in kids. So in the elderly, again, I'm going to start at 25 probably for two weeks before I would raise that up to five milligrams. This is actually a medicine I like to start in the elderly because it actually has very few drug-drug interactions. It doesn't have significant action on CYP450 enzymes. So you don't have to worry as much there. So especially in the elderly where they tend to have a lot of medicines already on board or anyone with a lot of medical issues, I like Lexapro for that reason even more so than Selexa. It has the fewest drug-drug interactions of the SSRIs. One population that we've often been taught to avoid using Lexapro in is people with a significant cardiac history or older people for that reason. However, a lot of studies have shown that it is safe to use it. There is the FDA warning and we do have to be cautious with its use. So Lexapro, less so than Selexa, but still so, has been shown to increase QT um, prolongation and can increase the risk of torsade. So very serious things, and we want to make sure we're being really cautious. So if I had an older person especially, but anyone with a significant cardiac history, I would, as a psychiatrist, want to be working with uh, their primary care doctor 
or their cardiologist to make sure that we're doing this in the safest way. But if they'd done really great on Lexpro in the past or had a first degree relative doing really well on Lexpro, I don't see any reason to avoid it. Uh, so what the FDA recommendation is, is that you not increase past 10 milligrams of Lexapro for anyone with a significant cardiac history. Again, I would work with you guys or a cardiologist to see maybe could we do EKGs if we needed to increase the medicine, if it worked really well, because there have been a lot of studies showing that even in these populations, it can be used very safely. So again, don't rule it out in these populations. Um, I wouldn't go above 20 in them without a really significant risk-benefit analysis, um, but I think that 10 to 20 milligram range can be managed if you're careful. So, you know, the next question that comes up is, what if it doesn't work? We started it and it doesn't help. Well, if it did nothing, stop it. Start a new agent. If it was partially effective, we're going to cross-titrate it. So again, I'll usually go down on the Lexapro by about five milligrams, unless they're already at a low dose, to start the new agent, knowing that's not going to start working for about four to six weeks. So if I have them on Lexapro 20, I'll take them down to 15 and start Prozac 10 or 20, for example. Now, if I feel like Lexapro is almost the right fit, like it works great but causes a lot of side effects, or it's just kind of almost good enough, I'll often try Celexa as my next choice because it's the enantiomer and people will have somewhat similar responses between the two. Not exactly, but that's just sort of a rule of thumb I use um, and I find a lot of success with that. Another thing is if it works really, really well for anxiety, um, but almost well enough for depression is sometimes I'll add in a little Wellbutrin as an augmenting agent, um, which can be a really nice combination. A question I get a lot, again, is how long do I have to stay on this medicine? Um, for kids or teens, the answer is a year of doing well, and then we'll taper you off. For adults, if you've had one episode of depression, you know, again, a year, and then we'll taper off. If you've had multiple episodes of depression or you have severe generalized anxiety, the answer is probably never. So I tell people it's like treating blood pressure or asthma. We're not curing the problem, we're treating it. And so when we stop the medicine, your symptoms will come back. And so you, know, you don't have to take this medicine the rest of your life. It's always your choice, but it's my recommendation um, if you wanna continue to feel good. And if it's been working well for a long time and it stops working, what we very scientifically call the poop out effect, <laughs> then I will often try Celexa as a next choice. Um, unfortunately, sometimes that does happen with SSRIs, which is unfortunate. But to recap, Lexapro is an awesome medicine. I use it a lot. It's one of our purely serotonergic agents and is really good for a range of conditions and usually typically well tolerated. I use it first line a lot. I hope this episode was helpful and I hope everyone has a great day.